The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from the capital city on Delkis, it's Doctor Who Pachak. The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who Pachak, episode 300. This is Louis Trapani, and once again, I'm flying solo, but don't worry. The flight will be worth your while. I got some great interviews, some classic interviews from the past. Well, they can't be interviews from the future, can they? Well, you never know. <laughs> With Doctor Who, anything's possible. But, no, these are from uh, the past. I'm talking like 30-some-odd years ago. Well, maybe, um, yeah, around that. 25, 30 years ago. Strap yourselves in. We got a good episode. We're in a holding pattern right now where we're waiting for new episodes of Doctor Who. Um, And because of that, sometimes uh, there's not a lot of Doctor Who news, but this is somewhat of an exception for this episode. We do have a lot of news to cover. And unfortunately, a lot of it is sad news. But um, so without any further ado, let's get into the news section. No welcome. You're not. Fascinating. But then anything connected with you would undoubtedly be fascinating, my dear Ronnie. I thought that last mad scheme of yours had finished you for good. (laughs) You jest, of course, I'm indestructible. The whole universe knows that. Is that so? Really, my dear Ronnie, you and I should be friends. I'm one of your greatest admirers. Oh, don't bother with flattery. I know why you're here. I saw the doctor. Then you know why I need your cooperation. Cooperation? I want nothing to do with you. You'll change your mind when you hear my proposition. I am not interested in your pathetic vendetta, one way or the other. Now, clear up and let me get on with my work. If only it were that simple. Sadly, I must report the news of the passing of the actress Kate O'Mara. We all know her. Doctor Who fans all know her as the character who, you know, as the actress who played the character, the Ronnie in Doctor Who. And uh, the Ronnie was uh, in two in two stories of Doctor Who. The first one, the Mark of the Ronnie, opposite of Colin Baker, the Sixth Doctor. And then once again, she returned in Time and the Ronnie with uh, Sylvester McCoy, the Seventh Doctor. And even though there was only two stories, she made a quite, you know, she she made a quite a impact on the viewers. Many fans delighted in her. She was a renegade Time Lord, similar to the Doctor, but on a, um, you know, where the Master was also a a renegade Time Lord, opposite of the Doctor, you know, on an evil bent. The Ronnie was really out uh, for her own means and, and, and didn't really get involved or didn't want to get involved with the rivalry between the Master and the Doctor. 
Well, well, well. The Rani. You were expecting to see the Master? To see? Not exactly. He was burnt to a crisp the last time I saw him. Your smugness is misplaced. He's here. He's very much alive, and he wants vengeance. Curse the pair of you. Well, since we're insulting each other, I can't say I care much for your taste in clothes. Doesn't do a thing for you. Mm. Your regeneration's not too attractive, either. But at least I can change my appearance. You're stuck with what you've got. Our face is of no importance. Brain regeneration's what I need. I should have been able to pin this one down to you. Personality changes, probably due to an imbalance in body chemicals. Yes, you're the obvious culprit. Well, you had me fooled, if that's any consolation. It isn't. You'd have been discovered eventually, you know, even without my intervention. I never have. Oh? Well, this isn't your first visit. I've been coming to this wretched planet for centuries. Without being discovered? Well, I'm impressed. You're obviously a brilliant tactician as well as a brilliant chemist. Oh, it isn't difficult. These humans you so admire are a feckless lot, always in disarray. The Trojan Wars, the Dark Ages, the American War of Independence. And now the Luddite riots. Perfect cover. Cover, yes. But for what? I think I've got it. You're extracting a chemical from the brain. The result is the victims become violent, aggressive, can't rest. That's it. The chemical that promotes sleep. I begin to understand why the Master finds you such a menace. Oh, where is the idiot? I take it you're referring to the Master. But why don't you release me? What, and have you two stopped my work? These are human beings, Rani. Living creatures that have done you no harm. They're carnivores. What harm have the animals in the fields done them? The rabbits they snare, the sheep they nourish to slaughter. Do they worry about the lesser species when they sink their teeth into a lamb chop? Ah! Josh, guard him. Josh? If he moves, kill him. No. Don't kill him. Kill this one. Touché, Doctor. Don't hurry back. She died at, seven, at age 74 uh, in a nursing home in, in Sussex after a short illness. It's really tragic. I know she had wanted to come back to Doctor Who for, uh, you know, be it for the 50th anniversary or otherwise. She told Digital Spy, quote, I would love to come back. I have white hair now, but a lot of it, and I'm still very glamorous, so I won't disappoint, I hope. I'll still be bearing the tight leather trousers and the high heel boots, regardless of what age. That's what fans are expecting, and that's what you got to give them, unquote. She went on to say, quote, if you put a much older woman in Doctor Who, they can identify with it. I think that's a quite of interest. I think it's quite an interesting concept. If you remember things like Grimm's fairy tales, the older woman is often the villainous, often the terrifying figure. Why, I don't know, but often she is. I think it's an idea to be exploited, unquote. Upon hearing the news, Colin Baker, the Sixth Doctor, tweeted, quote, Oh my goodness, Kate O'Mara is no longer with us. Sad news. A delightful, committed, and talented lady and actress. We are the poor, unquote. Of course, many people in the U.S. will probably know her playing opposite of... Joan Collins in the U.S. 
primetime soap opera Dynasty, or as the Yanks, as Yanksay Dynasty. She played the sister role to Joan Collins' Alex Colby. I have to admit that uh, I haven't, didn't really, see, I might have maybe caught one or two scenes of, of the show I, uh, with her on it. I was not a, a follower of Dynasty or Dynasty. You know, I I didn't really follow those the, those U.S. nighttime soap operas at the, that were very popular in the '80s at the time. You know, Dallas, um, Knots Landing. Um, you know, the, the whole. The, the, I know they had many followers and a large audience, but I was not among them. But speaking of sisters, she played the sister of Patsy on Absolutely Fabulous, and I did watch that show, and she was uh, hilariously memorable in that. So. This is Eddie's place. Not bad. Not so vulgar as I expected. <laughs> Do you like it, Jax? Close. Uh, what area is this? Shepherd's Bush? It's Ho- Holland Park. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, Jax. Hi. Yes, I remember you. Mm-hmm. Another one who's ballooned. So what is it? A wax works museum? <laughs> um, this, this, um, this, um, the house of wax? This, um, I'm sorry, we're going to have to help Patsy here. She's never entertained on this kind of scale before. <laughs> on any scale. This is my daughter, Safi. Oh, never mind. Too late to flush her now. Oh, no. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm uh, Justin, and this is my, uh, uh, this is Oliver. Men, thank God. There's nothing I hate more than being an all-female company. God. Little does she know. I'm, uh, I'm Safi's father. Oh, how sweet of you to admit to a thing like that. Is it very bright in here, or am I badly lit? Oh, my darling. That's not possible. No. Jack, just have a seat, darling. We're going to have a little quick drink and then pop off to the club. Pop off to the So, 20 years. Is it? Oh, yes, it was just before our mother died. So how was the funeral? Oh. You know, not bad. She was dead, wasn't she? Then it was great. Uh, Any of the others there? Uh, No, I was the only family. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, nothing. I mean, I didn't expect you to be there, Jax. How many of you are there? I don't know much about Patsy's family. Well, why should you? You deserve to be kept in the dark. My My God, if you were mine, I'd go one step further and put a bag over your head. (laughs) I'm going She puts you in the shade. You're a very poor reproduction. Once again, she played Jackie, the sister of Patsy on the show. And she was a semi-regular character. But for Doctor Who fans, she will always be remembered as the Ronnie. She was married to actors Richard Willis and Jeremy Young and leaves a sister, actress Belinda Carroll. Her son, Dickon, died last year. Her last message on Twitter was on the 17th of March, Quote, thank you so much for your kind tweets. It's both humbling and completely overwhelming to read all your messages. Much love. X. End quote. Joan Collins had tweeted, Tragic news about Kate O'Mara. We had such fun on Dynasty when she played my sister Caress. Rest in peace. End quote. 
That was a nice nap. Now, down to business. I'm a bit worried about the temple flicker in Sector 13. There's a Bicentian refit of the TARDIS to book in. I must just pop over to Centre I-7 and then perhaps a quick holiday. Right, that all seems quite clear. Just three small points. Where am I? Who am I? And who are you? The Rani! Stay back! This is idiotic. You'll injure yourself. Why should you care? Since you were exiled from Gallifrey, you've had nothing but contempt for all other time lords. My contempt started long before my exile. And what do you want with me? And where's Mal? She's perfectly safe, but how long she remains so depends on you. You're up to something. Perhaps I'll find the answer on this. You won't recognize the planet. It's Lacertia. And there's no evidence that it's ever been graced by your meddling presence. You're trying to deflect me. So the answer is on here. Quarks. One up. One down. One strange matter. That asteroid is composed of strange matter. What monstrous experiment are you dabbling in now? I didn't go to the trouble of bringing you here just to discuss the ethics of my work. Ethics? Don't be such a hypocrite. Your past is littered with the mutilated results of your unethical experiments. I had all I could take of that cant in our university days. Am I expected to abandon my research because of the side effects on inferior species? Are you prepared to abandon walking... In case you squash an insect underfoot. Stay away! Whatever you brought me here for, I'm having no part of it! Leave him there! He may be hurt! Son, don't interfere. I'll deal with you later. And that's the last time she will interfere. Stay away, I'll smash this! I'll smash it to pieces! Get in here! Outside of Doctor Who and Absolutely Fabulous and Dynasty, she also had prominent roles in 80s series Howard's Way and Triangle. Kate O'Mara, rest in peace. Thank you for all the great times on screen. You will be missed. It's with sadness I have to report another passing of significance. Doctor Who director Derek Martinez, or Martinus, I'm not sure how his surname is pronounced. I apologize either way. He has died at the age of 82. He's directed some of Doctor Who's best-known episodes from 1965 to 1970, for, featuring the first three Doctors, including The Tenth Planet, which was the introduction of the Cybermen, and also it was the introduction of Regeneration, because it was the uh, story that unfolded with Doctor... Number one, William Hartnell, regenerating into Doctor Number Two, Patrick Troughton. He was responsible for that. He was also responsible for directing the first ever Doctor Who episode in color, Spearhead from Space, which not only introduced the third Doctor, but um, as I said, um, it introduced color into the series, as well as the Ortons. He directed the Ice Warriors. Outside of Doctor Who, he also directed Blake Seven, Zed Cars, United... The Doctor's Angels, and Panameric. His daughter, Charlotte, said, quote, He was a legend, just an absolute legend. He taught me how to love, live, and laugh. He was such an amazing man. It was an amazing childhood to be living among Doctor Who paraphernalia, 
We used to go down and watch Doctor Who being made and see the Daleks, even inside the Daleks. Having those famous people walk through your door, John Pertwee would come over for tea, end quote. The BBC states that he did an interview for a Doctor Who fan site, which fan site, I'm not sure of, it's not stated, in which he spoke of William Hartnell, quote, regarded me with such suspicion when I arrived. He knew I was the new boy, and he wasn't slow to remind me how many hundreds of films he's done and how many directors he advised on how to get the shots. One did have to tread very carefully with him, but he warmed up to me and I to him, end quote. He also spoke about shooting the Daleks. I mean, not, not shooting, shooting a video of the Daleks, which he said, quote, very carefully and from exactly the right angle. If you shoot them without care, they look rather tame and ordinary. You have to build up a Dalek's entrance. I used to make them lurk in shadows, end quote. He is survived by his wife, two daughters, and three grandchildren. So once again, we bid farewell to another giant in Doctor Who's history, director Derek Martinez, dead at the age of 82. Rest in peace. Actor, writer, strangler Mark Gaddis has been commissioned to write two news stories for Doctor Who. Oh, by the way, the strangler description is not mine. It's part of his bio on Twitter. He wrote it himself. Obviously, add comedian to that as well. Uh, he always had a great sense of humor, and he's always been a passionate Doctor Who fan. And uh, he has, um, speaking of Twitter, he has tweeted, quote, To clarify, I have been commissioned to write two episodes of Doctor Who. That doesn't mean they'll both necessarily be in this season, end quote. So um, it's implying that, obviously, uh, he's um, been commissioned to write two new stories, uh, they may or may not be in the next upcoming season or series of Doctor Who, uh, but there most likely will be 12th Doctor stories. So we have that to look forward to. Obviously, Mark Gaddis has a long history, as I was alluding to before with Doctor Who. He has written uh, six other Doctor Who stories and appeared on screen in uh, The Lazarus Experiment from 2007. Uh, he also has done some parodies with, uh, you know, um, with Doctor Who, going back to, what was it, Doctor Who night. Uh, good stuff there. So, um, you know, we'll be looking forward to that. We're still, this is still sketchy news on what's coming forth in the new series. So we'll keep you abreast, but no spoilers. We'll try to stay away from spoilers. And if you're on the internet, you might want to be aware of that. Some Sometimes you go to these uh, stories and it turns out there are pictures that are there that were taken, you know, via mobile phones or whatnot or somehow. And now this isn't giving anything away, but there are uh, aliens that have been showing up <laughs> on these pages. So I won't describe them to you. No spoilers there. But um, of course, Doctor Who's always going to have aliens. I, so I'm not going to say anything more to that. But I'm just letting you know, be warned when you uh, click links, you might be surprised what you see um, if you're trying to avoid spoilers. I don't think I. Don't think this, if you see these creatures, I don't think it's going to spoil anything, Because, but that's my opinion. This past 26th of March 2014 was the ninth anniversary of the Ninth Doctor's premiere on television, ushering in the return of Doctor Who on television. Can you believe it's been nine years already? 
the BBC has commissioned three new images from illustrator Lee Binding, who designed the movie-style posters and artwork for the 50th, 50th anniversary special, The Day of the Doctor. Uh, the artwork, the three pieces, the three images that have been made available by the BBC features Christopher Eccleston as the Ninth Doctor as one, Billy Piper as Rose Tyler as another, and of course, Captain Jack Harness, who is portrayed by John Barrowman. Once again, can you believe it's been nine years already since the return of Doctor Who to television? So we're we're thankful for that. You know, it's um, time goes by so quickly. A year from now, we'll be celebrating the 10th anniversary of the return of Doctor Who. So um, all good stuff here. But I thought it was kind of fitting, you know, having marking the ninth anniversary since it was the ninth Doctor that brought the series back. Or I should say the second ninth Doctor since we had a <laughs> previous ninth, doc- ninth Doctor. But it wasn't, it wasn't television, it was a web series. That was a web flash animation series or um, story, Scream of the Shalker, which starred Richard E. Grant as the Ninth Doctor. So uh, now he's known as the Shalker Doctor, but, you know, at the time, it was the it was the Ninth Incarnation of the Doctor. Again, this wasn't television, this was the web series, and this was um, going to be pretty much canon at that time until the series came back, and then it overwrote this canon. So, whatever. Everyone has their own personal canon. We reviewed Scream of the Shocker back on Dr. Podshock. Don't remember the episode number, but it was a while ago. Doing some research, I discovered that we reviewed Scream of the Shocker back on Dr. Who Podshock 267. That was from two years ago, March 17th, 2012, if you're interested. Also, I meant to say Jack Harkness previously, not Harness. I, I don't know what my mouth said, but my mind said Harkness, my knows what my mouth says. Half the times I don't even know what my mouth says. Speaking of Doctor Who history, Digital Spy is reporting that the first seven Doctors, that's William Hartnell, 1963 through Sylvester McCoy, 1989, those episodes have found a new home on the Horror Channel! Or the Horror Channel. Not to be confused with, um, the Horror Channel is a UK channel, uh, I, I say, I'm going to say, unfortunately, because uh, I think it's UK only, I should say, so uh, unless someone out there knows otherwise, please correct me, but to my understanding, it's um, it's available in the UK only. Uh, it's unfortunate because I would like to see these episodes have a home worldwide, you know, I know there's a similar channel in the U.S., I believe it's called Thriller or Chiller, the Thriller channel, or I believe something like that. It's been quite, <laughs> been some time since I cut the cord, but I, I did get that channel at one time. So the Horror Channel has uh, secured a deal with BBC Worldwide, and will be showing these episodes in daytime and evening time slots. So to launch this, they're having a marathon of stories covering uh, the first seven Doctors. This is called uh, Who on Horror Weekend, and it's on Easter. So uh, something to look forward to. If you have the Horror Channel, um, something to tune into this Easter with the marathon. And then I would imagine they would follow suit 
uh, following that, they'll have, um, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know this for sure, that they'll show them in episodic order, but I don't know. We'll find out as, um, as time goes on. Lastly, NASA has released design concepts of their latest next generation spacesuit design, which is the Z2 spacesuit. And if you've seen these uh, new designs, they may look a little familiar to you. I thought so. And I posted a photo comparison for your entertainment. You can see that on Pachak.net, our website. Uh, you could say that the new spacesuits may be a bit domineering. Anyway, I won't spoil it any further. Check it out on Pachak.net. And I also had uh, posted similar things to uh, Facebook and Twitter, but uh, good luck finding them there. You'll find them easier on our site. It's currently on the front page there. Well, that's going to wrap things up for the news section of this episode. We'll be right back with some exciting classic interviews from the past. Related to Doctor Who, of course. Hi, this is Waris Hussein. Thank you for listening to Doctor Who Podshock. In memory of Kate O'Mara, who we just lost, known to Doctor Who fans as the Rani, for her portrayal as the Rani, I should say, our audiobook selection for this week is going to be something other than a Doctor Who title, though it does have Doctor Who connections to it. The title is Shadow in the Sun, and it's written by Kate O'Mara and Michael Cochran. It's dramatized by Kate O'Mara herself, along with Patricia Shakespeare and Giles Watling. Now, Giles Watling is the brother of Deborah Watling, the companion, to Patrick Troughton's doctor, the second doctor. She played Victoria Waterfeld, who, along with her father, Jack Watling, were in the last story we just reviewed, The Web of Fear, in the last Doctor Who Pachak episode. So this is a dramatization of two very different women, the much-married Mary Queen of Scots and the Virgin Queen of England had one fundamental thing in common. One thing that would change the course of history, each believed in their God-given right to sit on the throne of England. Their lives, their deaths of these royal cousins were bound together in a tangled web of bloodlines courtly intrigue, and political maneuvering. As I said, Kate O'Mara herself plays Mary Queen of Scots with Patricia Shakespeare as Elizabeth I. And this could be your free audiobook with Audible. Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from, including science fiction, thrillers, business, romance, comedy... They have it. They they have over a couple. They have like two hundred and sixty some odd Doctor Who titles alone. This is not one of them. But as I said, it's Doctor Who related. You don't have to choose a Doctor Who title. You can choose whatever they have to offer. Audible titles will play on your iPhone, Kindle, Android. More than five hundred devices for listening anytime and anywhere. And for you, Doctor Who Podshock listeners. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check them out. And if you decide it's not for you, fine. 
You can cancel anytime and keep your free audiobook. Now, to download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash pachak. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash pachak for your free audiobook. And this is a little sample from Shadow in the Sun with Kate O'Mara playing Mary Queen of Scots. Here at Tutbury, we live the life of a convent. I'm so badly accommodated that I'm unable to remain here for the winter without very great hazard of my life. I'm in a walled enclosure on top of a hill, exposed to all the winds and inclemencies of heaven. This is a very old hunting lodge, built of timber and plaster, cracked in all parts, the plaster adhering nowhere to the woodwork and broken in numberless places. It is distant some three fathoms from the wall and situated so low that the rampart of earth which is behind the wall is on a level with the highest point of the building so that the sun can never shine on that side nor any fresh air come to it. For which reason it is so damp that you cannot put any piece of furniture in that part without its being in four days completely covered with mould. I leave you to think how this must act upon the human body. There are two paltry holes in which to retire occasionally, with windows facing the dark surrounding wall. The garden for exercise is a turnip ground, a place to look at fitter to keep pigs in than to bear the name of a garden. There is not a sheep pen amidst the fields but makes a better appearance. This house, having no drains to the privies, is subject to a continual stench, and every Saturday they are obliged to empty the one beneath my windows from which I receive a perfume not the most agreeable. In short, it is rather a dungeon for base and abject criminals than a habitation fit for a person of my quality. If I shall behold and hear perforce, you may be sure, being a desperate person, I will use any attempts that may serve my purpose, either by myself or my friends. There are those that would secure my freedom and have plotted to carry me off, and whose purposes are to transfer me by ship to my friends in other lands and keep me in some secret place undiscovered. But... To adventure upon a mere uncertainty, and by such means to work my own delivery, which might, if the matter miscarried, turn me to confusion. Oh, I, I nothing doubt that the Queen's Majesty, at the request of the kings of Spain and France, will restore me to my former dignity hereafter. For thank God I am not so destitute of friends. But I shall never return to France as a fugitive without a retinue, into a country where I have worn the crown matrimonial. I remember, on the voyage, as we were leaving France, a fishing boat sank before my eyes and all were drowned. When I came to England, as we approached the coastline, a thick fog descended, 
and as I lighted on the shore, I stumbled and almost fell. Some of my friends saw this as a sign that I was to claim my rightful kingdom. Others prophesied sorrow and ill fortune for me. And in truth, I have suffered injuries, calumnies, hunger, cold, heat, flying without knowing whither across the country, without once pausing to alight. And then to lie on the hard ground, having only sour milk to drink and oatmeal to eat, passing three nights like the owls. And this not the first time I have been held captive. I, that have been Queen of France, that I'm rightful Queen of Scotland, I'm heir to the throne of England, that in God's eyes am Queen of England! The Queen of Scotland beseeches the Queen of England, her good sister, to give her an answer to the three last letters which she has written to her, especially touching a final and clear determination on the treaty for her liberty. Once again, that is Shadow. That was from Shadow in the Sun. This could be your selection. Doesn't have to be. You could choose whatever you like for your free audiobook. Simply go to audibletrial.com slash pawchalk to download your free audiobook. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash pachak for your free audiobook. And if you're driving, you can't write the URL down, you can't go to it now, no worries. Just go to pachak.net. You'll find links to it there as well. And we're back with Dr. Hupanchak. Once again, this is Louis Trapani. And as promised, we have some classic interviews from the past. Uh, this is probably dates back to the mid-1980s, possibly 1984. I'm not sure. i have to get back to you on the exact date. This is an interview with Mary Tam, the late Mary Tam, unfortunately. Mary Tam's birthday was just recently, the 22nd of March. She was born in 1950. Unfortunately, we lost her a couple years ago in July the 26th of July, 2012, due to cancer. And uh, it was sort of an unfortunate um, thing because her husband, uh, she's uh, she was married to uh, Marcus Ringrose uh, in 1978, you know, until her passing. And he himself passed away hours after her funeral. So, um, but uh, not not to get all uh, macabre on you, it's, um, it's unfortunate that... Uh, you know, that, that we lost her too soon, much too soon. She was the first Ramana, Ramana 1, as sometimes she's referred to, or just Ramana, or Ramana, I can't pronounce her full name, Ramana Tulunder, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so set your tartars back to the mid-1980s for this interview. Thanks to Chuck Robb on the Chuck Robb Show for making this possible. And let's hand it off to Chuck on this interview with Mary Tam. My name is Chuck Rabb. My co-host today is Barbara Shushuk, president of the Friends of the Doctors in the Philadelphia area. Friend of Doctor Who? That's correct. Friends of the Doctor, Doctor Who. Our guest today is Mary Tam, who played Romano One, one of the companions on Doctor Who. So she had a chance to ask the doctor all the time, what do we do now, doctor? Where do we go, doctor? And run screaming from all types of rubber-masked creatures 
running down parlors, especially Daleks, I would imagine, right? No, actually, I didn't get a chance to work with the Daleks, which is my eternal regret. I would have liked to have worked with the Daleks, or, in fact, the Cybermen, who I think are my favourites. But um, the sort of most frightening monsters I had to work with were um, a huge octopus, whose name I forget. Was it Krull? Krull. Krull, that's right, the power of Krull. And um, a sort of giant lizard called the Shrivenzale, which was in my very first appearance. So uh, that's the most exciting type of monster I encountered. Barry Tan, in playing the companion, you had a role of a time lord. A time lady. A time lordess. No, a time, a time lady was the exact title, I think, yes. How did you feel about the role? Well, to start with, actually, the role was presented to me in a very um, appealing package. I was told that she was going to be very, very intelligent, more intelligent than the Doctor, in fact. Um, and because she was a time lady, she had the same powers as the Doctor. She had the two hearts and the supernatural or superhuman powers, I should say. And... Um, Unfortunately, the, the part eventually did deteriorate into the kind of girl you were describing at the beginning of the interview. What is it, Doctor? What are we doing now, Doctor? Because really, the format of the show is such that because it's only half an hour, you have to get a lot of information into that time, and you can't have two people who are both doing their own thing because there's nobody to explain what's happening. So really, by dint of the actual presentation of the show, there has to be one person who's always asking the questions. So um, by the end of a year, I decided that um, I'd done enough questioning. <laughs> the part really wasn't going to go much further. So I very reluctantly had to leave. I did, in fact, um, tell them that I was going to leave after a year. And I didn't see any chance of the scripts improving in that area. So um, that was why I left after a year. Before you did Doctor Who... You were mm -hmm. somewhat noted, at least somewhat noted, as an actress. Yes, I'd done a lot of work before Doctor Who. Um, I'd done quite a few movies. Uh, I suppose the one most people will have heard of was The Odessa File with John Voight. The first film I ever did was a movie called Witness Madness, which I think was shown in the States but very briefly, in which I played Kim Novak's daughter. In fact, originally I was cast as Rita Hayworth's daughter, but she got very ill after the first week of shooting and Kim took over. And that was a wonderful experience. I'd done a lot of television, um, series, plays, a lot of theatre. Uh, yes, I'd done quite a lot of work before Doctor Who. And during Doctor Who, did you find that the character made you uh, a one-dimensional actress, or, uh, or, or did you continue your um, feeling of being a profound and brilliant actress? Oh, thank you for those kind words. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, it's not really for me to say. I think, I think it's really for the viewers to judge that. I think from an acting point of view, I did the most I could with the scripts available because the way they were written really were tending towards the one-dimensional. I won't say entirely so because, in actual fact, I think I, I managed to get things out of the lines which, you know, probably another actress might not have done. But it, it's a very difficult part to actually sustain because of the fact I just explained to you having to be the questioner and be the audience's point of view all the time. I think really after a year I'd, I'd felt that that was as, as much as I could do. Matthew Waterhouse has been a guest on the show and mm -hmm. when he was on he said if he could only come up with 38 new ways that's <laughs> why he probably still be on the show. My guest co-host is Barbara Shushak from the Friends of the Doctor of the Delaware Valley, the Doctor right. Who Fan Club. Barbara, why don't you take the mic and ask some questions. Okay, Chuck. You were cast as a known actress prior mm -hmm. to you being cast. Most of the companions that were cast were not known. Mm -hmm. How did you feel when you actually got the role then? 
as being the first one to be known? Well, um, I felt very excited about it because, as I said, the way that the part had been described to me uh, seemed to be a very interesting and very challenging role. And it was to start with. I mean, the first couple of stories, I did feel that it was something that I enjoyed doing very much. It was different. I mean, it's not often that you get to play somebody who's from another planet, you know. I mean, it gives you a kind of limitless freedom. And um, I also felt a little bit apprehensive about joining a show which had been on the air for so long. But on the whole, I was very excited about getting the role. I felt very flattered because there'd been a, a great deal of competition for the part. I think they saw about 300 girls, and they finally screen-tested six. So I felt very flattered and honoured to be chosen. Very good. When you do conventions in America, you're, you've been away from this for seven years, mm -hmm. and you have to come back and tax your memory a bit. <laughs> what is it like for you to field questions from fans that actually view over here? Well, it's interesting because, as you say, it, it does tax the memory. I have to kind of uh, think back. Luckily, I have got a good memory. Unfortunately, my memory for detail isn't that perfect. So if somebody asks me a very specific question, I'm usually very honest and say, look, I'm sorry, I don't know, or I can't remember. But um, most of the questions I find tend to be the same ones over and over again. So after my first convention, which was quite frightening, um, I felt more able to cope with the, the sort of queries that the fans threw at me. Okay, recently you toured with a play called Good Morning Bill, which mm -hmm. was a P.G. Woodhouse. Mm -hmm. How did you like playing an American doctor? <laughs> well, I loved it, actually, because um, the character was meant to be from Boston. So I went to the British Sound archives, and I listened to a very long tape of Betty Davis, who is my favorite actress in the world. And the way she spoke was how I imagined that this particular doctor would speak, because it was set in the 30s. And I think the way people spoke then was a little bit more careful and less relaxed than they do now. So I spent a long time listening to Betty Davis, and then I went to see an American girlfriend who's from Boston and taped her for about two hours. And I spent every day driving to rehearsals with the tape in my car. And um, I was very flattered because uh, one night somewhere in, in the south of England, southwest of England, an American couple came up to me and asked me which part of the States I was from. So I thought, this is it. It really has worked. You know, all this hard work with working on the tapes has, you know, borne fruit. But, um, no, I loved playing the part because, again, she was a very strong character, um, very witty. The play itself was very, very funny. So that was um, a good experience. I loved doing theatre. And then you went on to do the pantomime, Cinderella. Yes. And you played Prince Charming. That's right, yes. <laughs> Well, that's, that's great, because in England we have a tradition of pantomime where the, the woman is always, the man rather, the, the male lead is always played by a woman, and there's usually a character called the dame who's played by a man, and it's a very, very old theatrical tradition reaching back to the 16th or 17th century, so it's, it's tremendous fun to do. I'd never done pantomime before, and I, again, I was a little apprehensive because it involved a lot of singing and dancing and, least of all, trying to pretend to be a man. That was the least of my problems. But it was, it was very, very nice, very good fun, and it was lovely working with Colin and Nicola Bryant, of course, who played Cinderella, right. and Anthony Ainley. So it was like a, a Doctor Who reunion, in a sense, and there were lots of other very, very nice people in the show, and it was a very happy experience for me. I enjoyed it immensely. Has anyone ever mentioned why the tradition of a woman being cast in a male role and vice versa ever started? Um, well, originally, all... all parts in the theatre when Shakespeare first started writing were all played by men. 
I mean, it was just um, a male profession, a completely male-dominated profession. All the parts that Shakespeare wrote were originally played by men, which is probably why there aren't that many great female roles in Shakespeare, with one or two notable exceptions. I think the, the pantomime tradition probably is a throwback or a leftover from those days. I'm not actually completely sure. I should have a ready answer at my fingertips here, but I'm afraid I'm not too sure about that one. You'll have to find out. <laughs> I'd like to. I'm very curious Yes, yeah, it's fascinating. Have you had any favorite roles that you have done so far? Um, well, to be quite honest, I mean, I can, I can honestly say that I enjoy every single part that I do. Whenever I'm offered a new part or a new role, it's the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me because I always approach all my work with great enthusiasm. I enjoy it immensely. And um, I would say that everything I've ever played, I've, I've liked very much. I can't actually think of one specific role. I suppose because of recent, you know, being recently in my mind, the two parts we have just been talking about, in fact, The American Doctor and Prince Charming, mm -hmm. I enjoyed most because, you know, they're the ones I can remember best. <laughs> Are there any characters that you would like to portray in the future? Um, yes, I'd, I'd like to get back more into the classical side of theatre again and play, you know, some of the um, great classical roles in either Shakespeare or... Greek tragedy or whatever, but um, in England they tend to sort of be played by actresses who are well into their 40s, so I've got a bit of time before I can <laughs> reach out for those parts, I think. Let me uh, reintroduce our guest, Mary Tan, who, among other things, has played a Doctor Who companion, Romana One, on the Doctor Who BBC television series. My co-host is Barb Shushak from Friends of the Doctor in the Delaware Valley Fan Club. Mary Tan, as you look toward the future... You certainly have the background to take whatever you'd like in theater, film, even Broadway. What would you mm. like to do? What would I like to do? Yes, what are you looking well, forward to do? Um, one of my great ambitions is to work in the States, but I don't know how this could come about because there's um, a problem with you know, equity and American equity. I think um, if anybody ever offered me a part in America, I would be absolutely ecstatic. It would be one of my greatest ambitions fulfilled. Otherwise, um, carrying on in England, I think um, I'd probably well, like to do... You're much too young to play J.R.'s mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> Couldn't they add a few wrinkles here and there? <laughs> no, I think if, at the moment, I am considering two or three things in London, one of which is a West End comedy play. And um, apart from theatre, which is always my greatest love, I'd, I'd like to get back into a long-running TV series because during my time with Doctor Who... It was actually um, interesting to kind of find out the way one does relax into a part when you're in a studio every week. Because normally, if you do a, a series or a small series or just a play on television, you have your rehearsal period and then you're in the studio. But it's over in three days, usually, the studio time. So you always look back and think, oh, I could have done that better or, you know, I could have played this scene differently. But if you're in a long-running series and you're establishing a character, you find that every time you go into the studio, you're a little bit more confident a little bit more sure of what you're doing and you start to enjoy it more. And um, I think it's a very good exercise in acting to do a long series. So I think that um, that is another of my ambitions, is to get into a very long-running TV series and establish a, an interesting character. Mary Tam, in your background, as my last question, what in your background drove you to become an actress? Well... My mother's an opera singer, or she was. She's a, a white Russian emigre, and she came to England um, 
after the war. She'd actually moved from Russia. She had to escape from the remnants of the revolution when she was a small baby. She can't remember it very well, but she went to live in Estonia, which is where she was brought up. And then she started singing there. And um, I remember in my childhood, she, she ended up giving singing lessons and um, doing the odd little recital here and there for the Russian community. And I think maybe that's what prompted me in a way. But uh, she always wanted me to be a concert pianist. That was her great ambition. So I was um, taught to play the piano from a very early age. And in fact, I, I haven't played the piano for a long time. It's something I'd like to get back to. But I suppose there's that artistic bent, you know, somewhere in the family. It's a kind of creative urge. So that's the only explanation I can think of. Robert Shushak, do you have any last questions? No. Okay, then we'll have to say... A good night to Mary Tan. Good night. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> well, thank you. It's exactly. been a pleasure to meet you. The lovely and talented Mary Tam. Mary Tam played Romana opposite of Tom Baker's The Fourth Doctor from 1978 to 1979 in the Key to Time story arc, which was a series of episodes uh, known as the Key to Time series. She had stepped down from the role uh, because she felt that it was, became more of a damsel in distress type of role. And uh, she um, was replaced by Lala Ward playing Ramana II, the regenerated Ramana. Now let's switch gears and move ahead in the Doctor Who timeline, that is, to Janet Fielding. Janet Fielding played the Mouth on Legs, also known as Tegan Javanka. And this is an interview, again, from the mid-1980s. Let's go back in time, set your TARDIS coordinates, and let's hear from Janet Fielding. I'm Chuck Rabb. With me is Barbara Shushuk from Friends of the Doctor in the Delaware Valley. As a co-host, she's fine, and you've heard her before. And her assistant, Kay. And our guest is Janet Fielding, better known as Tegan from the... Doctor Who BBC television production. Good morning. Yes, good morning. It's very nice to have you on the show. It's nice to be here. How did you become involved with a role like Tegan? I know that you've done other productions before. Well, when I was with his actors' cooperative, John had sent out a, a casting list saying that he was looking for somebody to play a bossy Australian. John Nathan Turner. John Nathan Turner, the producer of Doctor Who. I said... A, the, a letter was sent in for me saying, if you want somebody to play a bossy Australian, they don't come any bossier than this one. And uh, John sort of saw me, and I read for the part. And I came back and saw him again, and he gave me the role. They were looking for an Australian to play an Australian, so... Janet Fielding, did growing up in Australia have anything to do with your becoming an actress in the first place? No. Uh, it militated against it, really, because... Where I grew up in Brisbane, until 1970, there was no professional theatre company as such. There was quite a lot of amateur theatre, but no professional theatre. And a lot of productions that toured through Australia didn't come to Brisbane. So there was very little by way of theatre. I became involved by accident, really. I was doing um, English at university and journalism. And we used to perform rehearsed segments of, of the course on Thursday afternoons. And two of the people who were doing one of these rehearsed readings, were doing a professional production with the newly formed State Theatre Company. And they sort of hassled me into auditioning for um, the part of Rapunzel. And to my surprise, <laughs> I got the role. 
And then I went back to university, and, and when I finished my degree, I joined a you know professional theatre company. From Rapunzel to Tegan. Yes. Very interesting. <laughs> Let me turn this over to Barb Shushak. Barb? Hi, Janet. Hi. In the way of Tegan, how much control did you have over her? You had a certain degree of control in that when you're doing a long-running series with a, with a long-running character, you, uh, you obviously often know more about the character than a guest writer will. However, there is a script editor who, who was very familiar with the series who oversees the general script direction. Sometimes something would happen and I'd say, my character wouldn't do that. You'd get things changed. Also, because the character was fun to write for, and, and people became acquainted with how I was playing it. Stuff was written for me, very much so. I suppose I had some control, but not a great deal. Is there anything that you would have liked to have seen the character of Tegan do that they never accomplished while you were playing? I'm often asked this question, and it's quite a tricky one to answer, really. I mean... One of the things about playing a companion in any case is that you, you get to sort of... You're a feed all the time. And it would have been nice to have been able to display a bit more initiative, I think. You know, if only I'd got to do a what-if occasionally, rather than a what, when, how and why. When you moved from Australia to England, mm -hmm. did you have a problem adjusting to the move? Well, I didn't sort of come to England for good. I came for a four-month holiday. We had a... It was a theatre company I worked with in Australia who had an English writer-director we used to bring out to work with us. And he was he always felt that the, one of the best plays he'd ever written was this one he'd written for us, so we brought it to England. We mounted our own tour of it. And I got offered work, so I stayed. I mean, I, I came for four months, and seven years later, still there. <laughs> English television is a little different than most television around the world. Yes. Likely is not some of it is going to be reflected in the pay that you get. Would you rather work in another country than England? I like the standard in England. I like the fact that, that uh, people see it as an extension of, of, of the theatre as well as, I mean, just a way of making money. Our, our um, television programmes, the good ones maintain a very, very high standard. I mean, it's always said about Britain that it has the least worst television in the world, if that makes sense. It makes sense. I think most people would agree that when the English do a quality programme, nobody can touch them. You know, they are way and above the best. You, you don't pander to sort of commercial values, and you, you're not playing to the lowest common denominator all the time, so it's possible to do very high standard of work. I mean, I, I can't see that... that American television would be capable of making, say, something like Brideshead Revisited with the same sort of integrity that the English did, because you'd be wanting to make it much more commercial. They would probably look very much like Dallas. Yeah, sort of. That's very right. So. Mm. It would sell. It would sell, yeah, but that's not everything. No, it isn't everything. I mean, it, it amazes me here when I, I sit sometimes watching television in the room and... and Programs have titles like Taking Advantage or How to Be a Millionaire and things like this. It's very, very money-orientated. And England uh, treats its culture, I think, much more seriously in some respects. My yeah. guest is Janet Fielding, who played the companion 
Tegan on Doctor Who and has been in various other productions, originally from Australia. Mm -hmm. I would imagine now that you've settled in Great Britain, you're staying there. Yes, I am, as far as I know, <laughs> unless, unless fate takes me elsewhere. I mean, I, I get fed up with England as well, especially with the climate. And if, my, if I had any foreign languages, I'd quite like to go and live in Europe for a while. I'd also like to go back to Australia for a while, come to America for a while. But um, I think of England as, a, as a, my home now, although I still get homesick for Australia. <laughs> Is television the favorite medium that you use, or do you like film, theater? I like theater. I like doing the theater. Because it's the challenge of a live audience, and you get immediate feedback. You can tell immediately whether something's working or not because you've got the audience there. And it's not just the front row responding, it's everyone. Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Kay, do you have any questions for Janet? In all the work that you've done, theater and television, is there any special role that you've always wanted to do? Oh, there's lots of roles that I want to do. I mean, when I'm much older, I'd love to do Medea. It's always sort of appealed to me. Um, there's... Things like Nora in the Doll's House, of course. Um, I'd like to do some some new plays as well. Yeah, there's quite a lot of lot that appeals to me. I don't dare talk about them too much in case, you know, it puts a blight on 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 it because it's like that old superstition about not talking about a job that's coming up in case you don't get it. Janet Fielding, have you thought about doing your own writing or producing? Well. People probably know that I potter about a bit writing. I've got more half-finished ideas sitting in a cupboard than <laughs> probably anybody else I know. I never seem to finish anything, though. I sort of start something and think, oh, maybe that's not such a good idea, and I drift on to the next thing. Um, As you get older, uh, you'll probably finish that. Yeah. Be optimistic. Yes, be optimistic. <laughs> I mean, I used to write a lot when I was, um, you know, up until I was about 20, I used to write quite a lot of stuff. I burnt it all. And when I look back on it, I don't think I made a mistake. It was quite horrible. <laughs> and the aspects of theater that you say you get an immediate response from the audience and you're mm, able to carefully mm, play mm. off of that. When you do theater, especially for John Nathan Turner, do you have the satisfaction of working with someone that you've worked with before from Doctor Who? I've never, I've never worked for John in the theater. We'll have to arrange something then. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'll send him a copy of this tape. Hire you in an instant, won't he, John? <laughs> well, John doesn't actually do any theatre, really. He does pantomimes. Pantomime, sure. Which um, I sort of don't classify as theatre, really. It's more like, almost like a variety show. It's uh, it's quite fun to do, but it's not it's not anything like doing a play. The Americans find pantomime very, very difficult to understand. Men playing women, women playing men, and all that sort of thing. It's really like an end of term um, or end of semester party in a way. It sounds like great fun. It is great fun, yes. Absolutely. But I'm sure that John would be interested in doing something even more serious in the future. I don't know. I think he's quite um, quite interested in television. I don't, I don't think he's got a, a sort of special desire to do anything in the theater. Really? Hmm. Barb Shushan? Okay, you're in the States now for hmm. a convention for Doctor Who. How hmm. do you feel about the reception you're receiving? The Americans are so friendly. They're great, the fans over here. Very, very nice. In England, I think the fans are, um, are not as friendly. They tend to be very... Uh, almost rude. They're sort of... 
they get nervous when they meet you, and their way of expressing it is by trying to put you down almost. It's a very strange response. Whereas the American fans are, are, are friendly and, and obviously appreciative that you're there. The English sort of don't know how to express themselves a lot of the time. They're not very demonstrative. And they get awkward, and that, and that comes out as rudeness. Um, whereas the Americans are very polite and very friendly. In a talk session, you are asked random questions. Mm-hmm. Do you like that spontaneity? Oh, yes, I sort of feed off that. I quite enjoy that. I mean, I quite enjoy working with John Nathan Turner on, on talk sessions because uh, we sort of banter with one another, and, and that's quite enjoyable, sort of scoring points off each other. Janet Fielding, do you find that it's a little different talking about old scripts than it would be uh, talking about yourself on stage? Or do you combine both in an audience session? You usually combine both. I mean, it depends where the questions take you, really. Uh, to a certain, it's quite eerie because the fans usually remember more than I do. <laughs> it's sort of, you're sort of trying to dredge back through your memory. I think I did 70-something episodes in total, and you sort of go back and you think, which episode was that? And, what? and they have a very clear idea of what's happened. And often it's sort of blending into one for you because to a certain extent, what you're doing is the present. And the present is what's uppermost in your mind. And it's sort of, you've got to dredge this stuff up from the back of your mind. Sarah Sutton's been a guest on the show. Mm -hmm. Did you feel ever any competition when two companions of the Doctor were female? No, it never seemed to, to, um, to be any problem. After all, for a, it's very unusual for a television program to have only two regulars, which is often the case with Doctor Who. Um, for a while, there were four regulars, which were um, Matthew Waterhouse, Sarah Sutton, myself, and, of course, the Doctor. Um, but that's not a large number of regulars for a series. I think when there were three companions, that was problematic, and, and people tended to get left out of it. I think Matthew sort of certainly felt that, that, uh, that the writers had sort of given up writing for him. I mean, it was easy. My character especially was very easy to write for because it was... Um, I didn't know too much. I wasn't so bright that I was a threat in any way. Um, and I I had a sort of interesting character in that she was quite aggressive and, and she sounded different because she wasn't English. And she really tried to have the upper hand in every situation, yeah, very much like the doctor tried. Yeah, to. she's pretty bossy which is sort of always fun to write for. I, I mean, I often describe her as sort of Lucy in space, you know, yeah. Lucy and Charlie Brown. Yeah, yeah, very definitely. And the doctor always had his clashes. Yes. I mean, those sorts of things are fun for a writer to write about. I think so. And mm. made the doctor a little dependent upon Tegan as another force in the show. Mm. In the yeah. Yes, he brought another element into the show. Right, and all he had to do was listen to your character and get into even more trouble. <laughs> Not always true. Not always true. I'm only joking. As a last question, mm -hmm. when you think back of your Doctor Who days, yeah. what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Yeah, a, a certain feeling or a particular episode or working with a particular person. Uh, it was very much like being in a family, really. I mean, obviously, if you work with people for sort of quite a length of time, then you get quite close to them. And... The nice thing about doing the conventions is, to a certain extent, that family atmosphere carries on. So people can't... In, in my business, you, know, you tend to, to be meeting people all the time, a lot of whom you get on with very well. So keeping contact with them is almost impossible. 
because you'd suddenly find you had 30,000 friends, you know. Um, so the nice thing about doing the conventions is that you get to see the people again and again, which is nice. And it's, it's been nice to sort of have that, that sort of family atmosphere, really. It's been nice having you on the show also. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. My thanks to Janet Fielding, my co-host Barb Shushak from Friends of the Doctor of the Delaware Valley, and Kay Brent, an associate of the Friends of the Doctor. Thank everyone uh, again. Yes, I will. Thank you, all of you. And thank you, Chuck Rabb. That was also courtesy of Chuck Rabb from the Chuck Rabb Show. Uh, thank you once again for uh, for allowing us to uh, to replay that interview from um, from the mid '80s as well, the 1980s. That's Janet Fielding, as I said earlier. Janet Fielding played Tegan Javanka, the companion, who uh, started as the companion to the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, and then continued on with Peter Davison playing the fifth Doctor. And she um, she actually actually played alongside of Colin Baker's sixth Doctor in a non-canon little um, sketch on um, a sketch rather um, on Jim Jim will fix it. Uh, Fixed with the Santarans, it was called. I don't know if that's on it. Might be on a DVD. I think I seem to recall it. Possibly, I don't know which one now. But and most recently, she was in the Five-ish Doctors reboot, the 50th anniversary special featuring all the various, well, most of the various living past Doctors, um, and and, and almost everyone else connected to the show uh, to some degree. So that's uh, the five-ish doctors. She had a contribution in that, too. Uh, Janet Fielding, thank you once again for listening to these interviews. It's good to go back into the past and listening to what, you know, these actors and actresses had to say at the time. Well, this was not at the time they were playing the parts, this, this, but it was closer to the time than there, than obviously than now. So, uh, once again, sh- thanks to the Chuck Rab and the Chuck Rab Show. So, let's get into uh, our feedback segment for Doctor Who Podshock. We enjoy what you have to say. We enjoy feedback. We always are appreciative of it. So, please send your feedback. You can do it in various ways. This is an audio podcast, so we do prefer audio, po- um, audio uh, feedback, as it were. Um, more so than any other, since it's an audio show, uh, you can simply use the Podshock public call box. It's a free service. Uh, told, you know, you, you'll still have to pay whatever tolls your carrier charges you to the phone number, but we don't charge anything on top of that. It's The number is 206-337-4699. Again, that's 206-337-4699 for the Doctor Who Podshock public call box and it works just like voicemail you simply call leave a message keep it around three minutes long or so uh, and leave a name so we can introduce you on the show you could also record your feedback using a voice memo feature on a smartphone record it and then email it to us at feedback at podshock.net or if you must, you can also type your feedback and send it as ordinary feedback to uh, feedback at podshock.net. Once again, the Podshock call box number is 206-337-4699. And unfortunately, sometimes that number does change. It's somewhat out of our hands when it does. The best thing to do is go to our website, podshock.net. And on the top there, you'll see a little tab that will say feedback and click on it. And that will bring you to whatever the latest number it may be. 
So uh, thank you for those that do send feedback. And um, in this show, we do have feedback from Mr. Adam Pearson of the 20 Megabyte Doctor Who podcast. And this is what Adam had to say. Hi, Lewis and the team at Podshock, old and new. It's Adam here from the 20 Megabyte Doctor Who podcast. I'm sorry none of the others could be here for this message, but I myself felt compelled to wish you congratulations on reaching 300 episodes. We ourselves recently reached 200 episodes, but 300 is amazing. So congratulations. Uh, I'm going to have to say keep up with good work, as everybody seems to do so when sending messages to podcasts. But um, well done. Um, Still listening. Glad you're back and glad you're still there. Um, And of course, if you want me on, I'm available. Thank you, Adam. And congratulations to you and the 20 Megabyte Doctor Who podcast for reaching 200 episodes. Keep up the good work, as you say, <laughs> to uh, that, that, as you say, that we're obligated to say. I don't think we're obligated to say that. I think it's a true statement to say uh, to you and, and um, everyone else involved with the show. Though I have to make a confession. This is not our 300th episode. It's episode 300, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know, timey wimey, wibbly wobbly. No, no, it's not none of that. It's see the, the the fact of the matter is that we've had episodes that we put out that didn't fall into the numbering scheme. So this is actually um, I don't know. This could be actually episode three thirty or something like that. Our three hundred episode was maybe twenty five thirty episodes ago because we have Doctor Who aftershock episodes that go out that don't follow this numbering scheme. And we also had a few shows that we did where we, um, for hypothetically speaking, because I don't remember the actual episode numbers, but we did uh, part one and part two of episodes. So maybe we did like, let's say, uh, Doctor Who Pachak 100 part one, and then we the following week we did episode 100 part two. So those were actually two episodes that went out. But they didn't get counted as two in the numbering scheme. So uh, we don't do that anymore, but we did a few of them um, in our early years like that. So, um, you know, that in addition to Doctor Who Pachak episodes, which are shorter shows, but still Doctor Who Pachak episodes, uh, our numbering scheme doesn't match the number of episodes that we put out. So, um, like I said, I, I don't can't say for sure what number we're actually on. But it's episode. See, we have to name our episode something. So instead of Mary, Frank, Jane, <laughs> Sally, whatever, uh, we just we just you know keep up with the numbering system. So it's not uh, our three hundredth episode, but it is episode three hundred. If you follow what I mean now, but you know, I take the compliment and the um, accomplishment uh, just the same. I usually celebrate anniversaries more so than episode numbers. You know, because a number is just a number. So. But um, come this July, this summer, we'll be celebrating our ninth anniversary. So uh, that's it's hard to believe that's almost a decade doing Talk to Who Pachak. So, um, yeah, so that's coming up and we'll, um, you know, maybe do something special for that, too. And to honor episode 300, this is Sporer! I'm probably misquoting that quote. I, I'm not a big fan of that of the movie 300, but there's a if Dave was here, he would be able to recite the quote for me. Anyway, we do appreciate your feedback, and as always, um, thank you again, Adam. Uh, if you'd like to uh, wish us an ap- a happy 300th 
a happy episode 300, if it was, uh, or 300th episode, whatever that may have been, or episode three, uh, 330, what, I don't doesn't matter. Uh, we always appreciate your feedback. Once again, you can send it to feedback at podshock.net. Uh, you can call the Podshock public call box. The number again, once again, is 206-337-4699. And um, like I said, just uh, go to our website, pachak.net, for in case that number changes for the latest number. And um, once again, thank you, Adam, and and, um, and hope to hear from you all. It, you can send feedback on anything as long as it's Doctor Who related. We enjoy hearing it. Well, I think that's going to round out our show. We'll be back next time. I think we're doing another review for our next episode. We still have more interviews to do, more exciting stuff to come forward. So uh, we'll be back with uh, probably multiple hosts for next time. And until then, cheers, everyone. Have a great day and happy spring if you're in the northern hemisphere. If um, spring ever does arrive here, at least here in the northeastern uh, U.S. region, it's there was snow this morning. There was snow. It's March, uh, end of March. There was snow on the ground in the morning. Now, whatever happened to uh, you know March coming in as coming in as a lion and leaving as a lamb, as they say? At least that's how it was when I was a kid. It's not so anymore. It comes in like a lion, goes out like a lion. So maybe April, you know, we'll we'll get some some um, lambs coming out of April, uh, and then May we'll have April showers in May, and then you know we'll have summer and it'll be too hot and we'll be complaining about the heat. All right, well, you didn't tune in for the weather. I was closing the show out, so once again, until next time, cheers, everyone. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifernEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchuck Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit ArtTrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. I cannot understand how I could have made such a fundamental mistake.